Hey fans, this is Buddy Reed, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm Podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and in front of me is Roy. How are we doing, everybody? We're doing well. This everybody's doing all right, man. This is doing all right. I uh, for personally for me, I go in for an MRI tomorrow for my hips. Oh yeah, yep. Your hips don't lie. My hips don't lie, and they are dying. So, oh man, uh, I'm I'm a candidate potentially for hips replacement surgery. Uh, I'm like your Labrador Retriever uh, instead of being taken outside and shot. You know, <laughs> well, that's really rude, but. Yeah, I I might have to have hip surgery. Well, and they can't get you one of those slings where like you know you pick the dog's rear end up. Have you seen those? No. It's like this thing that straps around the dog's rear end and, and it's got wheels, a handle right? on top oh, no. to help the dog get up. Yeah. No, I just know that I see the dogs with no legs or the dogs with bad legs with the wheels on back. And I mean if I could somehow do that with a wheel, that'd be kind of cool. They call that a wheelchair. <laughs> I don't think we want to get. I don't think we want that. Uh, it's been a bit, really. It's been a long time coming. I have uh, dealt with congenital hip dysplasia, and uh, it's been uh, you know in my line of business, uh, it's it's been very painful for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're gonna see if uh, if I'm a candidate to get that fixed. It'd be well, kind of nice. Re- hip replacement. You're on your back for like what six eight weeks. Something I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's... you're you're walking. They don't let you out. Yeah. Of the hospital before you walk, and I think you even have to go up a stair. Yeah, like within hours, if not the next day. I think it's pretty close to, I mean, soon after the surgery, like get up. But even after that, you're like in a recliner for most of your day. Anyway. Yeah. I'm not getting up until I get some ice cream. Uh, Sir, it was your hip, not your tonsils. I don't care ice cream. Yeah, I can hear your, yeah, I can hear (laughs) Liddy's answer to that one right there. Oh, man. So outside of that, so what does that mean about your baseball career? Uh, well, as of this last Sunday, my baseball career is now put on hold. Until, really? Yeah. I mean, and, and it has gotten that serious. Like I played the week before uh, where I got a couple hits and I should have been thrown out from the outfield because I just I barely got to first base. Oh, man. Um, do, and, do you get a runner every time? Every time. Okay. Um, even even for the past few years, I've had runners, and I don't even play the outfield unless absolutely necessary because of my hips. Um, and you used to be a center fielder, right? Yeah, and I yeah, and now it's just I can't even hit. Like I, I I couldn't hit this last week. This last week, I'm like I'm done until this gets figured Man. out. Well, in the meantime, you can live vicariously through the Padres minor leaguers, and that's what we'll be doing. <laughs> Starting off with a batting leadoff, uh, Xavier Edwards has been named to the Team USA. For the World Baseball Softball Confederation, that's the WBSC Premier 12. Now, that's the official body of USA Baseball, I believe. And they are the team that will, and this is going to go for qualifying for the Olympics. Now, I looked at the roster. I don't have that up in front of me, but I noticed there's a couple of very veteran players on here. It's a bunch of young guys, but also three or four guys that have been in the league for 10, 15 years. Yeah. It was an interesting group. So the U.S. will begin WBSC Premier 12 in Guadalajara, Mexico from November 2nd to the 4th as a member of Group A with the Dominican Republic, Mexico, and the Netherlands. The top two nations from Group A will advance to the Super Round in Tokyo from November 11th through 16th. The manager for that team is Joe Girardi. 
How about that? Fantastic. Maybe getting maybe a potential future manager of the Padres, Joe Girardi, getting a look at potential future player, Xavier Edwards. Absolutely. Who knows? I I made up I made a spreadsheet at work. You know how much of a nerd I am about this stuff to track all of the rumors of all the different <laughs> managers and all the openings. And I came <laughs> up with like a rating system, um, you know, weighting certain criteria different ways. And so I've I've got this whole table at work to try to track. And Joe Girardi's somewhere in the top ten, but he's not like top five on my list, I don't think, because the Padres haven't they haven't interviewed him. They haven't right. expressed any interest in interviewing right. him. And, and really think that it boils down to a it's not gonna be Preller, it's gonna be one of Preller's guys. Also, I just for some reason I see Girardi in a Cubs uniform. I see Beltran being the, the manager for the Mets and then Girardi going to the Cubs. Makes sense. He was a catcher for the Cubs for years. Right. And but David Ross. Ah, David Ross right. has the inside path on that. So maybe Girardi goes to the Phillies. Who knows? Who knows? There are so many different ways this can go. And I got a funky connection. And we have here. funky connections here. All right. There we go. Let's solidify the connections. So I thought that was pretty cool that Xavier Edwards, and he's pretty much the only second base on that squad. So Yeah, I noticed that. There are only a handful of infielders, and it's a big roster. So I pulled it up here. Eric Kratz is on the list. Okay. Eric Kratz, I think, is about to turn 40. And then Clayton Richard is on the list as well. So there's a couple of of kind of off the beaten path veterans with a group of young kids. I mean, Bobby Dalbeck, uh, Tanner Hawk, Tyler Johnson, Andrew Vaughn, a bunch of really young players, top prospects, and then a few veterans to kind of maybe keep them in line. Yeah, right. <laughs> the chauffeurs. <laughs> yeah, the what is it? The uh, chap- chaperones. <laughs> So uh, we let off with some hot, some good news, but now we've got a couple of kids that apparently gonna... need a, their own chaperone. What Jacob Nix and Tom Cosgrove? What in the world are you doing? Oh, he, tough call. Yeah, I mean, I Lord knows that we've talked about this on the past. We've we've done our stupid things when we were kids. Oh, absolutely. You know, 18, 20 years old, twenty three, whatever Jacob Nix is. But I wasn't a professional athlete with media coverage and and all of this and this bright future in front of me i was you know on some level the dumb stuff i did there was a factor of depression in there because i felt like i was a loser and i really didn't care right and, <laughs> and that's not the fact when you got these guys with 90 mile an hour fastballs and the potential to be pitching in a major league mound in a matter of months well and that's the thing that that's if it was anyone else if it was anywhere else it had been a blurb on the back page of the local section of the newspaper. Since these guys were major league players, or at least since Jacob Nix was a major league player and Tom Crosgrove, you know, they're with the major league ball club, mm-hmm. it's news. Yeah. Friend of the podcast, Tom Cosgrove. Yes. Um, who's uh, using our podcast mojo in a very wrong way right very, now. Right. Wrong, wrong mojo. Yeah. I can only figure that he was just tagging along. <sighs> so did, did I tell you what my little conspiracy theory was that I came up with? So my theory is that they were trying to prank one of their fellow players, like Matt Strom or or um, who's the sidearming, Eric Yardley, somebody that they know that has a dog. Right. So it's like three in the morning. Oh, I know what's going to be funny. Let's kidnap their dog. They'll wake up in the morning. Their dog's missing. And ha ha, I got your dog. So stick your head through the doggy door. Hey, come here, poodles. Give me your... Come here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, anything. And, and I'm glad this wasn't made a bigger thing... Than it really is. It's a couple of drunk guys doing stupid stuff. I hope that that's all that it is. And in a blackout. I mean, I don't think unless they were caught, they weren't caught with like, uh, you know, a break-in kit. There's, you know, professional no, burglars. head through a dog door. Right. And got kicked in the grill. 
got kicked in the face, and then apparently the homeowner reached through the door with a taser. Apparently the homeowner's a cop. Yeah. And, and he said, give me my gun. And the wife found the taser first and gave that to him. Thank God it wasn't a gun because yeah. who knows what might have happened. Yeah. Oh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the legal proceedings. Apparently tomorrow there's some hearing and I know the people on Twitter are clued into it. So they're going to follow it way too closely because it's personal business. Right. And these kids don't want their their dirty laundry out. But unfortunately, that's what happens when you become a public figure figure yeah absolutely so they'll probably be offered you know the major league the pods will probably offer them do you think you have a problem maybe there's other kind of information that we don't know about that maybe there's other things that lead up to this that hey maybe you do have a problem but i'm sure yeah. it'll be offered as a union employee you have to offer them some kind of assistance they can take it or not take it you do um, but at the same time the padres have the right to non-tender these guys oh absolutely so they could issue they could issue cosgrove his release papers yeah. since he's just a minor leaguer and then non-tender Knicks, and this could be the end of their baseball, their Padres career, and potentially the end of their baseball career, depending yeah. on what the specifics are. Yeah. Hopefully, it's just a slap on the wrist, a fine, do some community service, go through a treatment program, and then come back with some humility. Yeah. I hope that's what it is. Because yeah. Tom Cosgrove, we talked to him. We've met him several times. Super nice kid. Yeah. Really nice, personable guy who's always stopped to you know, take the time to talk to us. I appreciate that. Seems like a genuine good guy. Yeah. So it's I, I my heart sank when I saw his face. I don't know Jacob Nix. I've I've seen him around the ballpark. That's about it. Yeah. But Tom Cosgrove seems like a really good dude. Yeah. So moving on to the Arizona Fall League. A little bit old news, but Elliot Asprick made the uh, AFL Fall Stars roster and did not play. All right. Well, hey, good job representing the the Padres. Absolutely. It's been a, a lukewarm Arizona Fall League. After yeah. the last couple of years when we had Tatis playing, and then last yeah. year Hudson Potts was doing well, and then this year... Adrian Morrone. Not Adrian Morrone, but... Uh, uh, Oh, Munoz, Munoz, sorry, Munoz, Munoz. Munoz, yeah, guys that were doing stuff. Hunter Renfro was hitting bombs. I think he led the AFL that year in home runs. Yeah, and now I'm checking Baseball America all the time, seeing their little daily write-up, and I, I never see Padres stuff in there because the guys aren't really doing much. Right, I think uh, Owen Miller is the uh, you know the big bat there in the lineup also in Huddy Potts. Yeah, but they're both struggling. Yeah. They're both hitting like right around 200, not doing a whole lot, not hitting for much power right now. It sounds like they're both working on a change in approach. So that would explain why the numbers are, are lagging. Yeah. And that's what a lot of guys are sent there to do, to work on something specific. Uh, but one player did make his debut recently. Yeah. And he did it with quite a bang. Becca, becca, becca. So Logan Driscoll from Tri-Cities, who's a catcher outfielder, uh, he homered twice in three at-bats in his first game. Um, the 21-year-old Driscoll was the Padres' supplemental first, second-round pick in June. He hit 268, 340, 458 with three homers and 20 RBIs in 39 games in the Northwest League. So he split his time between catcher and outfield. Yeah. And in the last episode, we I was talking about how I thought it was interesting that he played a full college season. He played pretty much a full season in Tri-Cities. Apparently, he was slowed by injury at, on the onset, but still, yeah. most of a full season in Tri-City. And then he goes right out to the Fall League. But apparently, they're still popping that bat. Hell yeah. You know, and, and having that... For, for going, going back to you know Owen Miller and Huddy Potts, it, it's been a long season for those guys, and they could be working on stuff. You know, right when I saw Owen Miller on the list, my like, God, the kid's been playing all season, and I know all the other players have been playing all season. Yeah, but, in North Texas, where it's hot. Yeah, so I mean, the, the season has got to wear on you. And then once you go to the Arizona, you're still in the heat, your hot, hot heat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
So we'll see how that goes. But we still have a lot of other players going. Uh, we had the Dominican Winter League draft that we totally overlooked. Well, um, it wasn't very well publicized. No. And usually you see that stuff on Instagram, you know, players like a couple of years ago, last year, we had players on the in the minor league system that were drafted. Jason Rosario, mm-hmm. uh, Eggy Rosario, all those guys were drafted. And it was like a big thing because then they posted it on their Instagrams and that's how I found out about that information. And they'd share their friends things. Right. And all of that. Yeah. So when you get drafted, you're already, you're on that team for the rest of your life, really. So... Eggie Rosario is not going anywhere else other than uh, Chiab uh, Estes really? Del Estes. Is, is that how that works? That yeah. next year, yeah, next year if they want him to come, he's already on that team. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, and you. So if Pedro Martinez wanted to go back to pitching, I think he's from Lice, or I think that's how you say the word Lice. 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 He plays for that team. He can't go play for another team in another city. It's, Interesting. It's like the team of your hometown, or like your yeah. Okay, because yeah. I went back and was looking, and I after the after I saw that the draft happened, I saw other players were associated with teams. Yeah. It, it, they don't publish a roster. The roster is like a it's a constantly evolving thing. It's weekly they post a roster, and so it, there's there's always moves coming and going in, through the the teams. But anyway, so far I have found that on the Leones de Escogido. Wow, what is going on here with the uh, connection? Leones de Escogido, we've got Ivan Castillo, Adeline Rodriguez, Henry Henry, and Josh Naylor, as well as manager Jace Tingler, potential future Padre manager, maybe? Much to the ire of Padre's Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I just hope they get the right guy. I don't know who's the right guy, but I just hope it's the right guy. What do we know? Right. And you look at the guys that are in the postseason now, and it's a bunch of managers that didn't have a whole lot of experience when they got their jobs. No. No, absolutely. Whoever heard of Brian Snitker before he... Got his job. Mike Schilt. Nobody ever heard of these guys. Yeah. Who, Mike Schilt. But he's been in that organization for a long time. Same thing with Snickton. He's been in the Braves organization for mm-hmm. a very long time. But then you got Aaron Boone that never managed a game of pro ball in his life. And no. he gets called right up to the Yankees. And second year, he's got them in the NLDS. Yeah. NLCS. A- AL. ALCS. Hello. I've got my acronyms all wrong. <laughs> okay, so that was the Leones de Escogido. Uh, those Toros de Este, you got Moise Lugo and Eggy Rosario. Uh, for the Gigantes del Cibao, Webster Rivas, and the Tigres de Lice, Emmanuel Ramirez. Absolutely. So for Escogido. Escogido. Escogido, uh, which is being managed es- by Padres it's manager not or Escondido. candidate. Escogido. I always want to say Escondido. I'm like, yeah, it's. I'm so San Diego. <laughs> Second baseman Ivan Castillo was four for nine with three runs scored and a stolen base through his first two games. Castillo was an all-star at Double A Amarillo, where he hit 313, 347, 461. We can, yeah, I don't think that's going to come through. You don't think so? Uh, it it's could. hooked up. I think it will. It We're is. hearing it in our headphones. We're going to hear it on the recording. With eight homers, 47 RBAs, <laughs> and 104 games. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm curious about Ivan Castillo because he was a free agent signing this offseason. Yeah. So I don't know if the Padres have rights to him through this year or if he becomes a free agent, if he's a minor league free agent. I, I need to look into that. I don't know, but he rakes. Yeah, he does. That kid rakes. And he plays everywhere. And we'll be talking to uh, Austin Hartsfield later on from EVT and Painting Corners podcast. And that's one of the questions I want to talk to him about. Like, is he serious? Because he raked in double A. Yeah, and he shortstop, second base, outfield, wherever they needed him to play, he was there. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, Adrian Rodriguez, two for seven with two doubles and an RBI for Escogido. Uh, Eggy Rosario was 0 for 4 to start his stay with Este. And then Manuel Ramirez uh, pitched three innings, gave up two hits, one earned run, two walks, three strikeouts, threw 50 pitches uh, for Elise. And then we have hop over to Mexico. Everything's starting up right now. Yeah. The so, Winter Leagues are in full force. Yeah. The Mexican Winter League. Um, Trevor McGill is, play, is playing for Mexicali. And Juan Carlos Gamboa is playing for Obregón. Uh, Trevor McGill struck out two and allowed a walk and a hit in his first relief appearance over the weekend with Mexicali. And I'm curious about Juan Carlos Gamboa. He was signed as an international free agent, and then he's been on loan to the Diablos Rojos. Yeah, and so if you go on his MILB page, it shows okay. that he's he belongs to the, the Padres have rights over him, but he's been playing in the Mexican League for the last like six, seven years. Really? Yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of a thing the Padres claimed him he was with I, I can't remember what other team he was a part of the, another team's organization uh, they claimed him put him on the storm roster briefly and then they've had him on loan to Diablos Rojos this whole time so he's like 27 28 shortstop third base second base and he kills it in the Mexican league so I'm just curious why we haven't seen him come over to U.S. pro ball if the Padres own his rights well it does make sense that he's with the Rojos because the partial owner of the Padres, right. Alfredo Harpelu. Alfredo Harpelu. Mm-hmm. And you're really good with the with the uh, the Spanish pronunciation. <laughs> Doesn't mean I can speak it. I just know how to say the words. Anywhere else in the world, I can do all this, but on this podcast, my I'm. <laughs> it's not working for me. That's fine. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I'm here to help you out. Thank you very much. You make it, you make the podcast so much what it is. You put together the content, and I just help you say it. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I've got some stuff that I've picked up that I've read over the last week or two. Uh, Baseball America, um, our friend Emily Walden, she just released her Midwest League Top 20 Prospects for 2019. The Padres had a few mentions on there. Um, so at number six, Xavier Edwards, shortstop. Um, and I'm not going to go through all the, the whole uh, her whole write-up because with some of these guys, it's a lot of stuff that we've read before. Yeah. At this point, we've covered these guys enough. We know who these players are. Um, she does point out that she says he has a feel for hitting to all fields of the plate and with his body still filling out could add more power. His athleticism has played to his advantage in the middle infield, but he hasn't locked in a long-term home yet. Some see his speed playing better in the outfield. I found that interesting. Um, and then, uh, a scout pointed at whether he stays at shortstop or moves to center field. Edwards can do things. So I was talking to somebody comparing Edwards and CJ Abrams. And so now that I've watched Edwards, he's a, a quick, twitchy kind of a guy, and he's got very nimble footwork. He he's got very good balance. He yeah. moves well. Like um, he doesn't have a problem with accuracy with his arm. It seems it's an arm strength thing from shortstop. So that's where I can see the move to second base. Good footwork, good first step, good good quick reactions, right. good body control, that kind of stuff. Abrams, he's got the strong arm. I haven't seen him personally, but from what I've read is that he struggles with throws from odd angles. He doesn't quite have the same body control at, you know, making dives into the the plays that are at the very peripheral of what a middle infielder has to do. Right, right, right. Similarly, talking about their speed, Xavier Edwards has the quick burst, the first, like he's the fastest out of the box of just about anybody. Yeah. But Abrams might have more top end speed. And all of that tells me that 
Edwards might slot better at second base. Abrams would slot better at center field, assuming they both have to move off to short. Yeah, but that the, the arm angles and, and the odd like that stuff could be taught. The development that's he's eighteen years old. I don't know. It takes a it, 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 it takes a lot of reps to get there. You're right. And he's very young. And since we already have a shortstop in the system, several shortstops, a couple, yeah. sorry, a couple of shortstops that are are you know not only Fernando Tatis Jr., but you know, Gabriel Arias, um, that we have time to figure that out. So, and, and the move to center field is so much easier. But what I wanted to say is this is the first time I've ever heard of Edwards going to center field. I've heard it before. I have not. One of the comps I've heard for him is D. Gordon. And I could see that. Okay. He was shortstop second base. And then the Mariners moved him out to center field because of his speed. Yeah. But with Abrams, so if you've got a guy that doesn't do so, maybe the first step isn't the, as elite. And the the arm, he doesn't throw well from the odd balance and the stuff. So you put him out in center field where all the athletic motions happen after several steps. You can yeah. get yourself in position for it. The throw comes after a crow hop. So it's not the the really odd stuff that somebody has to do at second base, shortstop, third. I understand that. I, I'm the same way. I'm not fast, but I get a good read. Like for me as a player, I'm not fast. It takes me a few steps to get going, but I, I take good routes. And after a few steps, I'm to top speed, but I'm not quick. Like, I don't steal bases, but I can go get a ball. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could before. So if the two guys both have to run 100, 150 feet to yeah. get to the ball, then Abrams might get there first. Yeah, absolutely. But if it's a ball that's hit 10 feet to his left, Edwards might get there first. Yeah. It's second base. Anyway, moving on, Joey Cantillo. Uh, we are very well acquainted with Cantillo, so I like to quote that he had here. She has him listed at 11th in the um, Midwest League. So now in his third minor league season and still only 19 years old, Cantillo impressed both coaching staff and scouts alike with a highly advanced understanding for working his pitch mix to his advantage against Midwest League hitters. Love him. That's my guy, one scout said. He's a big guy with touch and feel, has a really good changeup, and he's going to throw harder. He can spin his curveball, just doesn't throw it hard. He's going to throw it harder. So all of that tells me that when he develops the next year or two, the stuff is all going to move up. So a curveball yeah. turns from a loopy curveball that kind of has a hump out of the hand. If he starts throwing it harder, now it's going to travel 20 or 30 feet before it starts to move, yeah. and you can blend it in with the rest of your mix a little bit better. Absolutely. Continue to jump to the high, high class A Lake Elsinore wasn't nearly as kind, but you with the projection both played at Castillo's, Cantillo's favor. He's still young. He's not even. He's nineteen. Oh yeah, and he was one of the younger younger players in the Midwest League, and then to bump him up another level, I, we see this all the time with the Padres that yeah. these guys are playing so far above their age level, and it's the ones that succeed are the ones that have the intestinal fortitude to handle it, and I I love that. Yeah. Speaking of intestinal fortitude, number sixteen, Ryan Weathers, left-handed pitcher, uh, in his second season with the Padres farm system, Weathers faced the injured list for the first time in his career, and the starts that followed appeared to show some lingering discomfort. Regardless, the projection projection of Weathers, who was still just nineteen years old, hasn't appeared to dampen in the eyes of evaluators. We saw him in his first game of the year, but he impressed me. Lansing manager Dallas McPherson said he really impressed me. We only saw him once, but he was really good that day. <laughs> that seemed like a throw-in quote to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she points out, starting with a fastball that touches 95 miles an hour, Weathers complements the pitch well with an above-average curveball and changeup. Outside of the natural feel, Weathers can get scattered at times and struggles to locate consistently. 
with his bulldog reputation of attacking the zone, Weathers hasn't come off track despite some consistency struggles this season. So consistency struggles and repeating your delivery, these are things that come with conditioning and experience. So there's a really good foundation to build upon there. So also on Baseball America, Bill Mitchell published his Arizona League Top 20 Prospects for 2019. Um, And I'm going to skip through some of this because we've talked about a lot of these guys a lot. But C.J. Abrams is number one overall, which seems like an obvious one to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, although our friend Jason Panini put him at number two. Uh, so I, I didn't put that in our write-up here. Um, Hudson Head at 10. Joshua Mears at 20. I love the quote that he put in there. He says, yeah. he's like a creative player in a video game. That's what the Padres manager, Vinny Lopez, said. A tank with bat speed. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they say that. He's got plus bat speed. He's got raw power. Uh, this is his first time facing high velocity. Yeah. So he struggled with that. There's a lot of adjustments that he needs to make. But you know, when you got an 18-year-old kid, you've got time. Yeah, absolutely. So then Logan Driscoll. So Steve Givars of Baseball Prospectus wrote up uh, notes from the field. And that's kind of a like a, a brief scouting report that these guys will put together. So for Logan Driscoll, he says, added to the fall league roster as a replacement for Luis Camposano, Driscoll entered with little fanfare but left a mark. He has a strong catcher build at six foot one, 195 pounds, and while he only hit three home runs in the short season, he knocked two in his first fall league game. Driscoll became the highest draft pick in George Mason history when the Padres selected him in the Comp B round, 73rd overall, on the back of solid hitting ability and potential behind the plate. While he doesn't have great bat speed, he timed up his two home runs well and received well in my brief viewing. Driscoll isn't expected to get much playing time, but he will be part of the rotation with Jason DeLay and Colton Shaver. Yeah. So that says something right there that they've got two other catchers on the roster that are going to be getting the bulk of the work. Yeah, They've just got him down there to get some extra work, some at-bats here and there. And to come up to up to plate and go like, this is how it gets done. Pop. <laughs> right. Hey, this is how it gets done again. You guys paying attention now? Pop. <laughs> just keep on doing that, Logan. Okay, so do we, do we want to get into this? We have about 15, 20 minutes before we talk to Austin. But what we wanted to do and what we're going to do in the coming episodes is go over the glossary of definitions and terms that are used in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Yeah, this is something we've had a couple of people ask us about, about you know, what do all these terms mean and and how are kind of the nuts and bolts of transactions and all of this stuff. Um, so right now, today, I wanted to kind of go down the, co- the calendar of yeah. what's going to happen in the next few months between now and spring training, because there's a lot that happens. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it as those things come up, but you kind of have to have the, the larger vision of what, what comes next month and how all this stuff fits together. So really quick, a warning before this goes on, there'll be a lot of major league talk here in the next several minutes. So if you are here for minor league talk, fast forward to the next few minutes. It'd be nice if we could put a little mark in there to right. show Beep. right when the Austin Hartsfeld interview begins. Anyway, the day after world series ends, players file for free agency. Five days after the completion of the World Series, a lot happens. Teams have five days to decide to select or decline a player's option. Uh, Teams have five days to extend qualifying offers. We're going to go into detail on that stuff in a later episode. I have it all written down. Um, There's an exclusive period when teams can negotiate with departed free agents. So this year that would apply to Craig Stammen um, and then guys like uh, Aaron Loop and Adam Warren if they decide to decline their options. Upon a conclusion of that five-day period, the free agents are signed free to sign with any team, but it's like a five-day negotiating time. Um, the 60-day injured list dissolves five days after completion of the World Series, and this is a very important thing for the Padres. They have 11 players on the 40-man, uh, 11 players on that DL, as well as a full 40-man roster. Yeah, so we had like a 55-man roster. Yeah, so last year, that's why we saw some trades with guys like Rowan Wick to, to open up space. Yeah. 
um, for the guys coming off that IL, as well as to open room for the Rule 5 draft. So the ways that they can do that, go ahead. So the ways they can get uh, get them off the 40-man, a team can outright release a player. That generally does not happen unless the, the clear the clear the player has zero trade value. You could designate for assignment. This is a procedure move where the player is removed from the 40-man roster. The player is also placed on waivers, allowing any team the opportunity to cl- claim him. During this time, the player is generally in limbo for about 10 days. That's when it goes to that's when they, 10 days for waivers. Yep. And then once they clear, if they clear waivers, then the team has the right to assign them to the minor leagues. Yeah. Um, some veteran players have the right to reject that assignment yeah. and declare free agency on their own. Yeah. And that happens a lot more than we like to say. Like, I'm not going to go to the minors. I'll just declare a free agency. Another team picks them up. Um, a player on the roster, so this is another, a, a player on the roster can be non-tendered. During this, during the offseason where the team does not offer the player a contract and they become a free agent, this could potentially allow the team to re-sign the player to a minor league contract, which will place them on the 40-man roster at, will not place them on the 40-man roster at the time. So we usually hear that term with guys that are on the arbitration scale. Yeah. Pre-arbitration or arbitration. So you might hear that Robbie Erlin is a candidate for that. He's, okay. he's in line to make a raise. Didn't do a whole lot this year. They've got a ton of pitching coming up. So he might be somebody that unfortunately gets cut. So they're not going to say that he was released. They're going to say that he was non-tendered. The team chose not to extend him a contract for the coming year. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll either, you know, they'll elect free agency or be like, okay, we're not going to tend to you, but we'll sign you to a minor league deal. You're probably going to make the team. It's, it's that procedural, that kind of like the nuts and bolts, the minutia of, of, of getting guys into camp and getting them on the roster or not on the roster, but just signing them yeah, is the ways that they're, that I had, it's the only sport that does this. I mean, uh, other sports like football, it's like you're on the, either a player or you're not, there's no like go down well, to the practice squad. Well, if you're on the practice squad, you're done pretty much. Yeah. And then you're hoping for somebody to get hurt, which is kind of a crappy spot to be right. in. So the qualifying offer deadline is November 14th this year. Uh, the price of qualifying offers is about $17.8 million. Um, I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole, um, but there are a whole lot of implications to whether a player gets offered a qualifying offer or whether the team signs somebody who declined a qualifying offer. But interesting here, the price of the qualifying offer for Major League Baseball has dropped for the first time, falling $100,000 to 17.8, determined by the average of the top 125 Major League contracts this year. The figure announced Friday reflects a flat market last offseason. So every time you hear guys holding out for more money, I'm holding out for the other guys. This is one of the reasons why they hold out for the bigger money is because that qualifying offer and that other guys that are similar uh, in, you know, similar level or play, you know, the similar style of player, whatever you want to say, service time, uh, how good they are. Uh, if it's a A or B free agent, mm-hmm. that they get as much money as they possibly can by this guy being signed with the, you know, getting the most money. Yeah. Who doesn't want the most money? But it's kind of the way that's well. That kind of explains well, it. So, but if the 100th t- ranked contract is somebody that took a, a a team friendly deal, they're kind of hurting everybody else. Yeah, because they took a better a better yeah. deal. But what we're seeing here is that the the pay for my major leaguers overall has gone down, yeah. which is doesn't make sense because Major League Baseball is making money hand over fist. And this is something that the 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 uh, players. Um, union has been up in arms about this is why they have a grievance filed against the what the pirates and the rays and the a's i think 
And Interesting. Yeah, they, a couple of years ago, they filed a grievance against them because they didn't believe that they were spending the revenue sharing money properly to try to improve their on-field product. Yeah. Well, I, also, I think maybe the reason why it's a little bit lower is it's, the game's getting younger. Like a couple of years ago when... Three years ago, when the offseason came and no one signed. That's a good point. Everyone, you know, and they started bringing up these younger guys and making the rosters um, tons of younger, cheaper. Um, that could have reflected in the aggregate. I think that's the right word, mm-hmm. where it did lower a little bit. Well, at the same time, we're seeing the, the kind of the the last effects of the steroid era. Yeah. That all of these guys that were playing late into their 40s yeah. and there were allegations of PEDs, well, how can somebody go out there and be 45 years old and still crushing it like that? A human body's not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. Now humans aren't doing that anymore. Right. Somebody hits 35 and they're done. Right. And why am I going to spend 30, give this guy a raise at 33 when, you know, he's, he's hitting 240. Man, maybe he has a veteran presence. And I know we're going to talk about Ian Kinsler. Well, you think of Ian <laughs> Kinsler, but. Like, I'd just rather bring up, you know, prospect A and see what he can do. Yeah, but I never heard about plantar fasciitis in the late 90s. No. <laughs> they had other stuff to be able to handle that. Oh, I had plantar fasciitis. It's horrible. I believe it. And it's it's wrecked Albert Pujols' career. Yeah. And it's crippled the Angels as a result because they signed him to that huge contract. Anyway, getting back on the schedule. Um, <laughs> not tender. So the non-tender deadline is December 2nd at 5 p.m. And so that period between when the World Series ends and that December 2nd deadline, you'll see a whole bunch of guys, unfortunately, having to go look for work. The transaction list, yeah. that free agent list starts getting yeah. growing. And, and that the- becomes the end of the road for a lot of guys. Yeah. A yeah, lot the, of veterans. Yeah. The phone doesn't ring or the phone rings like, hey, we can you know sign you a minor league deal. And they you know, I'd rather raise my kid. Yeah, uh, this is that you know when you watch an MLB network in the very bottom at the end of the World Series will be San Diego free agents blah 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 fifteen guys other teams you'll see all these you know free agents from this team mm-hmm. it'll be just like fifteen it'll be huge yeah the Padres only have a few this year yeah but it, yeah like you said usually it's ten fifteen guys from from a roster yeah so the next on the list is the winter meetings so that's December eighth through twelfth that's actually going to be here in San Diego this year absolutely so that's when all of the managers all the GMs everybody and they even have they have a trade show they have a, a career fair people yep absolutely so, so it's a big deal that they, they all get together and in the past that's when a lot of deals got done or at least the groundwork was laid for a lot of deals it seems like that's kind of slowed down the last couple of years well and I think the reason why they one of the big reasons why they changed the trade, uh, rules August 31st is a you know no longer trading was it waiver July wire? 31st I think July 31st yeah. sorry August yeah. 31st yeah the, there's no there's no waiver trades after that and so I think they've done that to also have the winter meetings be a little more um, yeah and a lot more action in the winter meetings well you look at what happens with the NBA and when free agency hits I mean it's a bonanza you got news yeah. going all over the place yeah. and those are small rosters but Major League Baseball, it's like free agency comes and everybody's just sitting around twiddling their thumbs like a game of poker and nobody's really showing anything real slow motion. You know, in fact, it was when we signed that was it 2015, we made all those trades and yeah. then we did like the last deal that they okayed at 12 p.m. like Eastern time was the Craig Kimball trade. Right before the start of the season. And yeah. it was like the paperwork has to be put in at that time and it has to be okay by MLB. Mm-hmm. And then it was like the next day. I think it came out the day after the two days later, where it you know it, it takes time for this stuff to happen. 
Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll put the paperwork through, but then there's a whole bunch of other, you know, exchange of medical records and all this other stuff that happens before the deal finally becomes official. So the last day of the winter meetings is when they have the rule five draft. Yeah. The rule five draft is a lot of fun to follow, but it's also really complicated to understand. <laughs> oh my God. And I, I've got pages on this stuff, but I, I think I boiled it down. Basically the rule five draft allows clubs without a full 40 man roster to select certain non 40 man roster players from other clubs. Eligibility. Players who signed with their current club at age 18 or younger and have played professionally or at least five years are eligible to be selected, as are those who signed at 19 or older and have at least four years of professional experience. And that doesn't mean that they were actually actively playing ball. It's that how many Rule 5 drafts have occurred since they signed. Yeah. So at some point, I thought that it had to do with them actually playing so I noticed that the international guys would spend a year in the foreign academy before actually playing an affiliated game. And I thought that was to try to buy them another year before Rule 5 hit. But that wasn't the case at all. Um, yeah, I, we've got some other notes here, but I'm going to f- pass on, on on that. But November 20th is the deadline for players to be added to the 40-man roster. Yeah. So in the past, that was a big deal for the Padres because they had to add some key prospects. Like last year, it was Edward Olivares. And a couple other guys that got added right at the very end there. Javi Guerra from the trade. Right. Javi Guerra. Uh, this year, I think the Padres have done a pretty good job of protecting everybody they need to protect. So they're going to have some interesting players that are exposed. Yeah. But I don't know if they're really going to lose anybody. Go on. So next on the list here, we've got January 10th. Players and teams exchange salary arbitration figures. So arbitration is a whole other subject. <laughs> um Go ahead. Okay. Arbitration. Players who have three or more years of major league service, but less than six years of major league service, become eligible for salary arbitration. Players and clubs negotiate over appropriate salaries, primarily based on comparable players who have signed contracts in recent years. Another reason why guys want to get the money Mm -hmm. is because they want to help the other players. Um, A player's salary can indeed be reduced in arbitration, with 20% being the maximum amount by which salary can be cut. Although such instances are rare. And then February 3rd to the 21st is, you know, if you the, ar- hit, the arbitration hearings. Every once in a while, you know, once a year, every year it really happens. Like one or two teams won't, you know, they'll fight for arbitration. Some will win, some will lose. Um, and it's just, it's the sausage of Major League Baseball. It's like, mm-hmm. we want you, but you, you know, you're not that good, but we well, want some you. ugly stuff comes out. I mean, Trevor yeah. Bauer went through arbitration and the team brought up that he donated. $420,000 to some, he had the numbers like 420 and 69 in the numbers that he donated to some charity. Right. And they use that as like some argument against him that he represented the team poorly by doing that. And they were using that as leverage to try to drive down his price. So you're sitting there and your employer is standing there telling an independent arbiter yeah. what you've done to mess up and why you don't deserve to get paid. And that's a, odd situation to be in it is well sean casey talks about it. it's like it's the it's the worst because they're telling you you suck but we want you right yeah it's it's a conflicting kind of a thing i, I and it's it's a it's a it's an arbiter it's a third yeah. party that often knows very little about baseball yeah. it's just one side says they want this the other side says they want to give that and if they don't choose a number in between it's either you win or you win 
Right. It's one or the other. And most teams, they and everyone knows this, most teams, they fall in between somewhere in the middle. When the numbers don't match and, and they're, they're pretty close, they usually go, okay, I'll take 200000 less or I'll whatever. Well, it, that's why you've got – so they exchanged the figures on January 10th and then the hearings start on February 3rd. So you've got a couple weeks in there to yeah. negotiate before it's clear that you're going to go to arbitration. Yeah. So it's it's real quiet, and then you start hearing news that this player signed for this, this player signed for that, and that's usually because they slid a couple numbers across the table and they agreed on something. Yeah. Nobody wants to go to arbitration. The last time I think the Padres went to arbitration with a player was Andrew Kashner back in like 2013 or 14. It goes back a ways. Woo! Then what happens? Then pitchers and catchers report. We're already back to Major League Baseball. We're already playing again. Oh, yeah. It comes around real quick. Well, the offseason, it it feels like so long because there's no games being played. But if you're really watching the nuts and bolts of it, there is a lot to keep on top of. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's, that's, I mean, we have more. There's going to be tons more. We have a lot more content when it goes to the definitions and, and kind of the nuts and bolts of Major League Baseball, which we'll give to you guys in bits and pieces because it does. You can get down to minutia of like, God, I read some of the stuff and I was dizzy just trying to read it. Like, oh, that kind of sounds interesting. Reading like all nuts. the different classes of free agents. Oh, the- my God. Yeah, the the rule book is it's a long rule book for a yeah. reason. There's a lot of legalese. There's a reason why there are a lot of lawyers working for Major League Baseball. Right, and so we we'll get that information out to you guys, but we'll give it to you in piecemeal so you're not you know banging your head up against the wall or shutting off the I podcast. I feel like we just banged our head against the wall yeah. for about 15 minutes there. Well, I got about five more pages of just. I mean, I got a whole page based on minor league minor league deals for another day. <laughs> hey, but before we bring on uh, Austin Hartsfield. I'm going to talk about my friend, Dr. Travis Ellers. 14 years in the business. He's a certified sports chiropractic physician. He specializes in sports injuries and prevention. He works with high school, college, and several local professional athletes, including athletes at the U.S. Olympic Center down in Chula Vista. He goes to the NFL Combine every I always want to say combine, combine every year. He'll fix you up and keep you or your athlete on the field. He's kept me on the field until my hips absolutely died, but I'll be back as soon as I get that figured out. Yeah, he can't out. really adjust hips. His, uh, his office is right there off Activity Road in Miramar. Uh, call and make an appointment, 844-627-4763, or go to Dr. Travis Ehlers. That's D-R-T-R-A-V-I-S-E-H-L-E-R-S.com, and check him out. We'll come right back with Austin. Hey, we're joined here with Austin Hartsfield from EVT and EVT Podcast and Painting Corners Podcast. You're out in Amarillo. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm excited. It's been a long time coming, right? Dude, I know. It's finally nice to put a face to a Twitter handle. We we interact a lot on yeah. Twitter. And, I mean, you post so much great content throughout the whole season. And it's like, all right. And I hear your voice on the podcast, but now I'm going to get a chance to see you. Know you're a real person, not a bot. <laughs> So I want to know how you wound up in Amarillo. So James Clark just reaches out to you, finds you, realizes that somebody lives in Amarillo and asks you if you want to start writing. How does that all happen? Um, I believe, I, I'm not really sure exactly how it all happened. I think I was talking about Mackenzie Gore one day because I've like adored Mackenzie ever since he was a draft prospect, you know, basically around the same time that Callis started covering him. 
uh, and, you know, I talked about Gore, you know, just the easy delivery, you know, execution of three pitches, you know, obviously he has four now, four plus plus pitches now, but yeah, it was pretty much that. I just said something about Gore and uh, I messaged James about, you know, like asking him if he knew exactly if the team was for sure coming to Amarillo. And he was like, yeah. And he was like, you know, can you write? I was like, I think so. I think I've been doing it since I was like five years old. And he's like, <laughs> And uh, he, he was like, all right, like, if you want to cover this team, you can. And uh, I don't think that he thought that I knew as much as I did, but, I mean, we're here. So prior to that, did you do any writing about sports uh, no, or otherwise? No, it was a uh, school newspaper my sophomore year. Kind of got bored of that because I was playing, I was playing uh, football, golf, and bowling at the time. So it was like, I'm good at all the useless sports and then playing football too. I am and a then, golfer, uh, and golf is not useless. There are offense to that. It's the most savvy business tool out there, right? <laughs> For sure, yeah. Oh, and your high school had a bowling team. Yeah. Oh, yeah, in the Midwest, it's too. a whole different world. Go what? up to Wisconsin, they take it serious up there. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess they have a surf club here in San Diego, so there's a lot of surf clubs here. So you happen to live in Amarillo, and a minor league team is coming to town. Um are you? Do you consider yourself a Padres fan now, or are you just? Uh, I do now, for sure. Like just being around these guys, being around, you know, whether it's Hudson, whether it be one of my favorite human beings on this earth, Earth, Ivan Castillo. Um, how can you not be fans of these guys? You know, just talking to them every day, getting to know them. I actually grew up in San Antonio, so I had the missions forever. Oh yeah. Like, okay. Going to games at the Wolf. Uh, I flew home a couple of times last year to go see Fernando play, and my mom didn't understand why. Uh, <laughs> she was like, "Why are you flying home to come see this 19-year-old play baseball?" I was like, "Come on, because he's generational. Like, do you not get it? Because <laughs> he's the chosen one. So yeah, you're, you're pilgrimage. <laughs> so your family still lives in in San Antonio. Yeah. How did you wind up in Amarillo? Uh, school, West Texas A&M. Boom. All right. Yeah. So my wife and I, we're making these pilgrimages out to all the different affiliates. And at some right. point, I don't know if it's going to happen next year, but we want to come out to Amarillo. Uh, outside of Hodgetown and what's going on at the ballpark, what else is there in the Amarillo area for tourists to do? Um, Cadillac Ranch. It's like this car graveyard of like all these different oh. Cadillacs in the ground. I've it's seen that. It's pretty cool, that. actually. I think I've seen yeah. that in movies. Okay. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty cool. Uh, what's it called? The old Amarillo Stadium is actually where they. I think it's where they filmed the Bull Durham scene when they when they turned on the sprinklers. So that's pretty cool <laughs> bit of baseball history. All right. Is that where the Gold uh, Sox played back in the day? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, and with the most terrifying press box in sports. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta look it up. It's it's terrifying. Like, no, no, I need to find it. You have to crawl up these circle <laughs> stairs. You have to like walk across what it feels like a plank is. Like, oh, I have to check yeah. that out. Like, well, <laughs> it's terrifying. Well, hey, let, let's let's get into it. So, real quick, I, you know, the, since the since this season started with, in Amarillo, you know, they talk about it being a hitter's park. What kind of is it a hitter's park? Is the wind blowing out? Is the field gigantic? Is it elevation? Um, it's it's the combination of elevation uh, to where it's actually more elevated than I believe Chase Field is in Arizona. And also, Amarillo is the second windiest city, last time I checked, in the United States as far as just like 
miles per hour per average. So whenever you, you know, I have to check the wind before every single game. That way I know whether to take that into account for a starter starts, you know, do I have to know if, which way the wind's blowing, exactly how it goes, you know, what the mile per hour is. That way if Edward Olivares somehow hits City Hall, you know, behind <laughs> left field, I know the wind was blowing a little bit. Or if Zunica hits a little, what feels like a bomb to right field and it just barely gets out, maybe the wind's blowing in that day. So it's a combination of wind and elevation, but also we have some pretty powerful dudes here too. So that brings up earlier today, somebody was made a comment about how Mackenzie Gore needs to go repeat double A because he got he went up to double A and I'm cool with it. And, and he <laughs> right? got like he got throttled to double A. Like it showed that he needs to another year of development. And I looked up his it, first of all, he only pitched five games in Amarillo yep. this year. He had one really bad game and that was it. And that one really bad game, it was a seventeen mile an hour wind blowing straight out and it was a hundred mm-hmm. degrees at first pitch. So it was yep. launch pad conditions. I'm sure there were a couple of those that were like, you know, bloop fly ball that just keeps on going. Yeah. Yes. And the first the first fly ball was foul. I mean, the first home run was foul. So there's that. They don't can't exactly go back and look at it, but I'm just telling you, one of the home runs that day was foul. But we're not going to talk about that one because I still got my hurt, feelings hurt a little bit. But you, you know what? Uh, so on football, they've got those cameras that are mounted in the goalposts, and then they like they I know rotate exactly what up. You're going to say, and I don't understand. They need to like, put those not? at the base of the foul poles, so as the ball's yep. going over, it looks right up, and you can see clear as day whether it, and even if it's a hundred feet above the and top that, of the pole, and there it is. You see that yeah. hundred feet above the foul pole is not going to be. Yeah. Now the engineer in me, I can see a day where there's like a, an actual sensor, a, a chip inside the ball, and they can track it in, and then they'll be right. able to project that line up there, and they'll know right away. That's Statcast type talking. Yeah, it's not that yeah. far away because they've got a hawk, like, Hawkeye that they do with tennis, and they're going to start using that same system in baseball. Okay. So you put a few Hawkeye sensors around, you're going to know the location of that ball within a millimeter. Real time. Yeah, that's one thing. Like, how has tennis had Hawkeye for so long and baseball can't seem to figure it out? Like, I, I don't know. All I can figure there is that you're measuring where the ball is on a flat plane. And in baseball, it's, like, it's all it's it's not a flat plane on the ground. Everything is is in the air somewhere. You're right. Well, it's like it's like golf had pro, had like pro tracers forever before baseball was like, you know, what? maybe we can do this. Yeah. It's like the technology took a while to, to come up with. And actually, golf. They, they they blazed the path for a lot of that because the launch monitor technology mm-hmm. started with fitting, trying to figure out how to fit a driver and a ball. I, I used to sell golf clubs. Right. I used to run a launch monitor. And when the technology was all developing, first they had the little they had these cameras that they'd sit down next to it and you'd have to put these dots on the ball and it would take multiple pictures as the ball took off. And it would use, you know, comparing the photographs a certain amount of time apart. And then they started putting these Doppler radar devices behind where the player was hitting. Um, right. And those devices have gotten smaller and smaller where you don't even know that they're there. Wow. So talking well, about like, – go on. No, I was going to go back to that gore start because, I mean <laughs> – I'm boring Donovan. I mean, defend no, defend no, that no. one bad start. Go ahead. I'm going it. to defend the bad start. Nick Heath, who I love to death and is one of the most entertaining minor league baseball players on Twitter, uh, was, playing for the tra- for, was playing for the Naturals at that point. First pitch that Gore gives him, he knows Gore throws, you know – he pumps five fastballs every single start. You can go back, back and actually look at those. Uh, he goes out there and basically shows hitters where the strike zone is. Nick Heath put down a bunt single to start that game on the very first pitch. 
I don't think Mac was ready for that. Right. And <laughs> that kind of got them ready to go. And it was just like, okay. And when Nikki's out there, he's the fastest man in double A. So you might as well just put him on second. You already have a runner in scoring position. Yeah. Plus the wind's blowing out. There's just so many factors that day. It was a weird one. Speaking of launch monitors, uh, Edward Olivares. Uh, Love him. Let's talk about him. Eddie's Eddie's a weird one, man. Uh, we just talked about it because Callis asked me about him uh, yesterday. And he's one of those guys to where you can't look at and think, okay, he does one thing spectacularly well. If you look at all the numbers, he did. He was pretty much in every, the top 10 of every hitting category yeah. possible for the Texas League. And it wasn't an overpowering you know, power stroke. It wasn't an overpowering speed thing. I mean, I think he had 32 steals total in the Texas League that year, uh, this year. And it's, it's just one of those things to where a guy did everything well and did it in the right park with at the right elevation, you know, with the right teammates around him. I mean, Yvonne Castillo was on base almost every time it feels like for Edward Alvarez, so that helps the RBI totals. But, yeah, I mean, Eddie does everything well, man. It's just nothing spectacular. So he's been on the 40-man roster all year. I was surprised he didn't get right. called up at the, at the end after the season was over. Um, it makes me wonder if he's a, a potential trade candidate, that they're holding mm-hmm. on to him to package him this offseason. that way. Because he's a right-handed outfielder, that how does he fit? Are you going to put him in where Margot is? I, I don't yeah. I don't know how that works. Well, the only so really like, go on. No, you're good. Well, the only question I have down here, and I knew this was going to be more of a conversation with you, is ask about Ivan Castillo. So he's got, he's a weird body looking guy. Like I saw another picture yeah. of the day because he's he's uh you know he's playing with for Naylor. Uh, yeah, he's playing with Naylor, who uh, by the way had the pimp home run. That last night? Oh, we forgot to talk about that. Oh my God! He hits the ball and then does the. He folds uh, his uh, arms folds and watches it and stands there. And my, I love that the catcher stands up right behind him. You see him put his arms yeah. out, and he's like, "Move." <laughs> um, is Castillo is he is he a true prospect here? I mean, well, I know I don't think he's on any of the top uh, you know prospect list, but is he someone that can make his way to the major leagues? He's he's the. The problem with him is, is with the Padres' perspective, is I hope he makes it through Rule Five this year, because he's he has to be protected this year. At the end of the day, uh, he's one of the one of those that you know they see the Texas League batting average, and he was the Texas League batting champ. Yeah. And uh, you know maybe somebody takes a chance on him. I don't think that he has a future with the Padres, just considering you know the infielders that are actually just on his team. I mean, Owen Miller is going to be a piece whether it be for this team, he's going to be like Callis said, he's got a very high floor yeah. to where, you know what he's going to be. This guy has hit three, you know, 300 up until this year, which he did most of this year uh, since college. But it's, there's just so many people at one position. Castillo can put the ball on bat on the ball, like nobody else. Uh, he started working on his walk totals at the end of the year. And I think that's going to be the biggest difference for him is working on those walks and working on getting on base so that you are, you know, basically this new generation darling to where you can hit 310, but you also have a, you know, even if it's just a 380 on base percentage in the, in the lower levels. Yeah, it's funny. They say you can't walk off the island, but now that's that's a, yeah. a tool again that yeah. these guys have to be able but to draw Wander walks. Franco, like, Wander Franco is a OBP darling, number one prospect <laughs> in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you got Willans Astro, Astro, Astro Dio. Yep. Who never strikes out, but then he he's had a hard time drawing walks at the major league level, and he's he's fallen out. 
So let's go back to Miller real quick. Uh, God, we've been big, we've been Miller bandwagon fans since he was in Tri Cities. I mean, he hit his way out of the complex. Up all through last year, he hit all the way to the major league team in spring training. Um, what what does he really need to improve on to kind of really put solidify himself? Because we think he's, I think he's a professional hitter. Like he's a professional hitter yep. in development. What does he need to do to really up his game? You know, he's he's a weird one like all of ours to where like outside of hitting, you know, hitting for contact at least. I mean, I think that he can add a little bit of power, but I don't think that there's a lot of power to be had there in the first place. You know, playing in Texas playing in Amarillo, the power numbers are always going to be juiced up a little bit. You know, that's why when everybody was kind of foaming at the mouth over Zunica early, I was just like, let's see if he can hit hit. Yeah. You know, let's see if he can put balls in the gaps, got things like that. And Miller Miller's ability to do that was extremely incredible. Like he, you know, he uses all sort all uh, all facets of the field, you know. He's not afraid to go the opposite way. It's he's I mean defensively is the only thing and he's played second really well i thought he looked almost natural at second towards the end of the season because you know uh him and hudson Potts were also required one game a week to uh, to play second base because the padres are trying to groom them you know trying to figure out who is the second baseman of the future right you know if luis arias doesn't work out there has to be a backup plan yeah and whether it be what if it's not edwards what if it's not arias you know we, you know, they're just trying to figure it out right now. Yeah, it's funny. I don't see any problems with Miller. No? Well, we were talking off air about uh, Peter Alonzo and Buddy Reed and those guys. And, you know, if you see the picture of Owen Miller with a shirt off, he's got a dad bod. They're like, he's got yeah. a developing dad bod. You know, you see these other guys, you know, being up in Lake Elsinore and talking to those guys and being in the clubhouse there, everyone's ripped. Like, Eggie Rosario is chiseled. Um, but you look at Owen Miller, you're like, dude, that's a dad He's like 22. Yeah. He's got a dad bod already. So maybe if he does put on a little muscle and, you know, that that power will come. But then at the same time, at age 22, you don't see guys pack on a whole lot by that point. It's usually right. like 18 right. to 22 when they're getting big. Right. So he is the guy that he's going to be outside of getting some old man strength at some point. But <laughs> but the power hasn't been his carrying no. tool. It's the hit tool where Brad Zunica is kind of the opposite. He's always had the raw power yeah. that shows up in the in in batting practice. The question is, how is the hit going to going to develop? And it seemed yeah. like this year he was streaky. So what was yeah, your take streaky. on that? What what did you see strong and weak in him? You know, it's funny because him and Buddy were kind of were streaking at the same time the entire season. I felt like, you know, early Buddy had the seven home run April, I think it was, or April or May. I think it was May. And, you know, Zunica was the same way. He always seemed to come up with big hits at certain times. He didn't put the bat. He didn't seem to find gaps as much as I would thought he would. So Zunica is one of those guys to where he looked kind of shaky at first base a lot of the time, which, I mean, I don't blame him. You know, I mean, you have young guys who we don't always know where the ball is going. So, but I mean, defensively, I think he needs to improve, but that might just be from me seeing it every day and maybe just overanalyzing it. Because yeah. when you see these guys every day, you, you literally try to find flaws. Yeah. Because you want to find the stuff to ask them about, but could be just over analysis. But I mean, just work on contact, really. Yeah, I, I remember watching him in batting practice at spring training and being impressed because I saw oh, him. He's just it was lasers, and but it was like it was just over the infield. He was hitting just line drives. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I wanted to see him elevated a little bit, but that's just me being greedy because I see this six foot seven yeah. mountain of a man. I want to see him, you know, put it into the next county. You want to see Aaron Judge, like right. You know? <laughs> so not Adam Dunn. Have you followed yeah, the exactly. uh, the Instagram account Believe in Brad? I don't. There's an Instagram account of somebody who is a Brad Zunica super fan. So I recommend you you follow Torrance that. Torrance has one of those too. Who does? Luis Torrance. He does. I haven't found oh, that. Oh yeah. We'll have to find it. Believe in Brad is on Instagram. Yeah. Also, also it's y'all when we get done. All right. It's pretty funny. <laughs> nice. I got to look that up. So Luis Torrens, that's another good person to talk about. Absolutely. Because he's he's taken some huge steps defensively this year, and he showed a bunch at the plate. Yeah. I mean, Luis is one of the guys that I got to know pretty well towards the end of the year. Uh, talked to his family a lot, too, you know, just trying to get information for an article. And Luis was kind of stand up standoffish with the media at first, you know, didn't really want to talk to anybody, which I get, you know, you just came off, you know, the year before, not the year before, but the year prior to that, uh, you were basically forced into major league action at an age that you probably shouldn't have to be when you're not at the talent level that Juan Soto was at that point to where you're not Fernando Tatis. You know, you're a young developing catcher that had only been catching for two years at that point. And cause that's when the Yankees trans like, like made him a catcher was at 16 years old. No. And yeah, so he hasn't been catching very long, uh, even to this point. So to, to make the strides that he has has been pretty incredible. But, you know, he made himself a weapon back there uh, defensively. Uh, he showed that former shortstop's arm. Uh, you know, just he was very intimidating. He is not afraid to make snapback throws either. That's that's one of the most entertaining things about it. His snap down throws are incredible. Like he didn't get anybody this year. Well, I say that I think he got somebody this year. I just don't think they called it because I <laughs> yeah. have it on video and <laughs> I have it in slow motion, and he definitely got him. But you know, that's Texas League Championship, so I don't I don't blame you. Uh, but yeah, no, he's he's just all around pretty impressive. I mean, the ability to you know to lace doubles into the gap, the ability to build at bats. That's the thing that's most impressive about him outside of defensively. Him, his ability to build at bats is up there with Owen Miller's and Taylor Trammell's. Like it's pretty awesome how he makes pitchers work. It's nice. like playing chess when you're when you're the queen of the other you know the other side. Like you're catching the ball, so you know how this game works. Use it to your advantage. So last year I had a chance to talk to Luis Trends briefly, and I, it was just an interaction. It wasn't like an interview or anything mm-hmm. like that. And he seemed very shy. Uh, very shy. You mentioned that he kind of opened up a little bit as the season went by. So yeah. did you did you see that he was like becoming more comfortable speaking English or was it a, a personal interaction kind of a thing? I think he got more thing? comfortable. I think he got more comfortable with me because you know I I video like y'all see on Twitter like I video everything. I try to at least to where you know I'm videoing the the hits, videoing the home runs, stuff like that. And I put one on Instagram one day and I was just like, hey, I don't know if you want this, but here's this. And he was like, thank you, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, every now and then he would hit a bomb and, uh, he would message me to be like, did you get it? I was like, yeah. So then he started later in the season, he started looking at me like, cause the press walls right next to the dugout. Right. And he would like point at me after a home run and I give him like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. <laughs> and, uh, he, he'd be, if, I, if ever I missed one, he'd go, I'd be like, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Like <laughs> you did not, not hit him so far. Like, <laughs> But yeah, I know he got more comfortable with me and I just, I asked him one day, I was like, Hey, you know, uh, 
I'm doing the best I can. Is there any way that I can do a piece on you? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was just like, was it that easy? He goes, could have just asked. I was like, thanks, Luis. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I- I found the same way with with Lake Elsinore. You also have camera well access, and uh, I, I bought a camera, and I'd take tons of pictures. And at the end of the game, I'd go home, you know, and I'd Instagram them. And some of the players mm-hmm. that I did have their number, I'd like I'd shoot them the pictures, or Luis Camposano say, "Hey, send it to my phone," and they yep. appreciate that kind of stuff. They want to see themselves oh, yeah. play, and they don't ever get to see it. Yeah, like, and, and so it's a really cool way to kind of build that relationship. Yeah, it's well, and a lot of rough. these guys, their families overseas. They don't, they don't have a chance to come out and watch yep. them play. So then they get to share it with their family. Absolutely, that's what I did. I sent it to, I sent it to Luis's dad every single time that I had one. I just I would send it to him and be like, "Thank you." And then, you know, at the end, they wound up helping me with an article and wound up inviting me to go fishing with them in Venezuela, which is pretty cool. Are you going to uh, take them up I on never, that? Are, are, yeah. Prob- I mean, once it, once it cools down politically, probably. <laughs> oh, that's right, Venezuela. Holy <laughs> crap. That's my next question was like, he's he probably went to Arizona. I'm sure he's in Arizona with, with the Padres. He's yeah. probably training uh, he right He just now. went home. He just went home right, uh, I think, he, a couple days ago because he's fishing. Okay. So like deep sea fishing out in the ocean or is it river fishing? Yeah. Oh, no, it's deep sea fishing. That's it's like awesome. legit. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, you got to get your passport together and figure oh, out. I, I mean, the travel visa is a whole different thing with Venezuela. I don't even know how that works because I don't think our um, our yeah, uh, embassies are talking right now. Well, that's really surprising that he was able to go home. Oh, I am too. But, you know, uh, I think Michelle Baez went home today too. Or I think a bunch of them actually went home today for some reason. But, yeah. You know, that maybe. So I was looking up the uh, Dominican League rosters. And I saw yeah. Gabriel Arias on there and I, I talked to Gabriel and his wife earlier and they were saying that because of the political climate, he probably wasn't going to be able to go play in the Dominican Winter League. And these guys make a bunch of money playing in that. Yeah. Well, so I saw Gabriel Arias name and then I realized it was pitching stats and it was the other Gabriel Arias yeah. that used to pitch for the Padres <laughs> like 10 years ago. Anyway, funny story. Yeah. I so, got a funny Michelle Baez story if y'all want it. Oh yeah, yeah bring it. Yeah. So, he, I don't know if y'all have interacted with him at all. Very little English. Yeah, very little. Like, he seems like a very shy person. Very shy, and I don't know how you're that shy in 6'10", but, I mean, come on. Uh, so, he was, I just finished an interview with him, uh, with Rudy Garon uh, translating for us, because I usually get Rudy to do it, and then, I, Yvonne's usually my guy. Like, I have Yvonne translate everybody for me if I have the chance. And he's still there, and he's super cool about it. Uh, but Rudy was doing it for me, and I got done, and I started walking to my car. Well, I have to walk a little bit. It's like two, three blocks, right, from the stadium. And if you go behind the stadium, not exactly uh, not exactly great climate back there. Right. Let's put it that way. Like, <laughs> Interesting. It's, it's, it's a little, it's a little, uh, little hoodie. Okay. Let's call it that. So I, walked by, I was walking to my car, and all of a sudden I see this 6'10 man, and I'm just like, that can only be one human being. Right. Like, there's no way that that's anybody else. That's either Zunica or that's Michelle Baez. And this person looks like a twig. Like, this is obviously Michelle Baez. And I was like, Michelle, what are you doing? He goes, waiting on the ride. I was like, uh, do you want me to wait with you? He goes, <laughs> he goes, it should be here in a second. I was like, okay. I was like, hey, buddy, you probably shouldn't be out here. Like, it's not good. Not a good area. And he goes, it's okay. Thank you. There they are. I was like, all right, cool. So he's he just hops in his car, and, I, and when I got to my car, I was like, "I'm five foot five. What was I gonna do to defend him?" 
Yeah, right. Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's to defend me. Right. Yeah, but no offense, your right arm isn't worth quite as much as his right, right arm. Not nearly as much. Right. <laughs> Will you take not a bull for Michelle? Uh, you know, for me, he looks like Jaws from from the old James Bond movies. Oh, because he's got the big square uh, chin. Does. Big square chin. If you give him a he grill. He looks like a Bond villain just in general. Dude. Like, with the, and love now, him to death. He had the hair, but I think he cut it off. But he used to have this just mop chicken. Oh, it's still there. Is it? Yeah. yeah it's still there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've I've seen it in the dugout in the bullpen. My wife and I sit right by the bullpen at the uh, at Petco Park, so we we get to see those guys up close and personal. He's definitely got the hair; he just keeps it under the hat. So, what did you see? Uh, I know Adrian Morahone was there for a little bit. Uh, what did you see from Morahone? Um, not a lot. This is a guy that I'm not a huge fan of. Maybe like not a guy that I saw a lot out of. Okay, it's just the fact that. You know, I only saw him in two inning stints outside of his first couple starts, which I thought was really weird. They kind of safeguarded him. Uh, he wasn't really one to do interviews, which, you know, it's just kind of how I get to know people. And it's like it's nothing against him. You know, it's just one of those things to where I, I'm one of those that I like to see if velocity is consistent throughout starts. Yeah. And I can't do that if you're only going two innings. For sure. And, you know, I want to see if your, uh, you know, your breaking stuff is still maintained. I want to see if, you know, guys can figure you out the second or third time through the order. And it's it's really hard to get a read on him just because I never got to see it like that. It's like they were protecting him from some of that exposure. Because yeah, he, he hurt his shoulder mid-season, like early in the season. And that kind of, after that, it was all two inning stints, which. Do you by chance know where works, that injury right? in the shoulder is? No idea. They're super secretive about stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And you don't want to... You, like, I didn't figure out about Jorge Oña's shoulder injury, shoulder surgery until a long time, like months. Like whenever whenever I tweeted it out was the first time I figured out what it was, and that was in like August. And well, people, got hurt in people talk about that May, like, it's, like it's the team is trying to withhold this information from the fans or something right. like that. All sports organizations do this. Yeah. It's valuable information. Yeah. Yeah. I know the Patriots are notorious for it, that they'll leave somebody as questionable until and, and their arms hanging off. But it, this is not unique to the Padres. All teams do this. Right. They all protect that information very tightly. And it's also known that as, I mean, because you're now a credentialed media representative. And so if you go in there and you start asking pointed questions about injuries, Yep. Your opportunities are going to dry up real quick. Real They're going to quick. start limiting that stuff. Yep. So you you have to learn where those boundaries are. That we just that's something you just don't ask about. If they're if they're forthcoming about it, then great. But if they're not telling you what's going yeah. on, then don't ask. You may hey, how's Wellman it feeling? It cool. feels good. All right. Wellman was pretty cool about walking me through that too because he knew it was my first year and it was just like, hey, these are kind of the things that like you don't ask. And I was just, <laughs> good. <laughs> I was I, like, all right, cool, thanks, Willie. Right. No, that's good that he that he helped you out like that. Yeah, no, he's great, man. Woman's great. That's awesome. Yeah, because he's been doing it for so long. We've got a, a brand so new manager long. up here in in Lake Elsinore. You got Tony Tarasco that it's his first year managing at any level, uh, and he did a fantastic job this year. You can yeah. see the guy just commands respect. Yeah. Uh, what was your impression of of Phil? It sounds like he helped you right off the bat, but just a day to day, he was pretty great. You know, he taught me something very early. Like, if you don't have a smart question, don't ask it. So there's a lot of nights that I'm not in the in the in the office, like because I don't have anything intelligent to ask him. I don't have anything progressive to ask him. To, you know, to where it will basically improve my knowledge. So I mean, 
there was probably 50% of the games to where I just wasn't in there, you know? Yeah. I, I When it comes to my interviews and our interviews, I, I struggle with writing a coherent sentence that doesn't sound stupid. I mean, I do yeah. that anyway, but it's just, I, I, I don't want to word it. I want to word it smart. Like you said, I want, I want to be able to get the information, but not, you know, sound like an idiot. And well, I often fell, I fell on my face a lot with some of these guys. <laughs> so <laughs> basically my interview philosophy, when it comes down to like, when we do player interviews for painting corners is why would you ask them something that they've answered 25 times besides yeah. the fact to get it on, to get it on air? Like, I don't want to do that. So what we do when we we have three co- we have three hosts of painting corners right now. So when we have a player coming on, we go in, we listen to the podcast that they've done before, and we formulate questions off the answers that they've given for other people's questions. Yeah. So that you kind of get deeper, you get better interviews, you get better answers, and you know the players like okay, these guys are here and they know what they're talking about. So. Uh, whether it's, you know, one of my favorite ones was talking to Michael Cantu about his experience with Augie Garrido at Texas, um, asking Caleb Frere about, you know, the difference in the baseballs from the major league level to the, to the minor league level. And, you know, how do you adjust and stuff like that? Just questions, answers off of other questions that people have asked before, just get more in depth and get them more comfortable. Yeah. The, the hitting coach in Lake Elsinore, uh, was a coach under uh, Rudy Harillo. Uh, who was Jer- Jeremillo? Jeremillo. Jeremillo, and he is a legendary hitting coach. And I'm like, dude, so you like you were under him? How was it like being under the a legend? He's like, you know, automatically gave me credibility. You know, automatic yeah. credibility because yeah, I'm like, yeah, he's a hitting god. You kidding me? Like, he's like, and he would tell me these. It was a really good interview, and he well, lightened that, up, and he that was told him to, that you did your homework too. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go on to yeah, some more the big things. <laughs> Let them know that you care. Yeah. Like, well, and so that's what I've, I feel like I've done a decent job when we were doing the player interviews was I would go and try to dig up like interviews from their high school and stuff yeah. where they, yep. they get into some different things other than just baseball, baseball, baseball. Yeah. We want to open up the personality of what this, what the player, you know, yeah, what you do on the field is, is significant to our listeners, but I want to see the personality come out. What makes you tick? What movies do you like? What do you yeah. do for fun? What's you know get the sense of humor to open up a little bit, and then you see the person behind the ball player. That's Luis otherwise Coutinho they're all just is robots. The easiest one to do that with, by the way. If you ask Luis Patino one question, you look up Taylor. Taylor's the same way, by the way. Tremel's incredible in interviews. I interviewed him three separate times, and I think it was a combined total of like thirty-five minutes. Just because <laughs> Taylor just loves to talk, but uh, you know, going back to questions on questions, the first thing when I sat down because I had, I had this Mackenzie Gore uh, questions lined out since opening day because I assumed that I was going to get him at some point, you know, assumed that I was going to be able to talk to him, and I wanted to be prepared. So the first thing I talked to him about was you know his relationship with his uh, college coach. Cliff Godwin, yeah, you know, living with him, what was that experience like? You know, what's that relationship like? You know, how do you get so close to somebody that recruited you but you never actually played for? And you know, that kind of opens up the rest of the interview, and it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. How hard was it for you to wait for him to come up to to Double A this year? Uh, James texts me, and I think I just sent him just all caps of just nothing but nonsense yeah but uh, before that it was really like excited it was weeks before that where we're like okay this is going to be his last start no yeah. this is going to be his last start. i kept trying to guess too like i kept i was like this is it this is the one 
this is the one. Then then he had one start, and I was like, all right, you know, maybe I'm not going to get him uh, until after All Star festivities. And then uh, they were like, Mackenzie Gore will start in Frisco, Texas. And I was like, I called my boss, and I was like, hey, I can't work Friday. Right. <laughs> Did <laughs> you drive all the way to Frisco? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I <laughs> what is that? That's like an eleven hour. It's like an eleven hour drive, isn't it? No, it's five and a half. Oh, okay. Springfield's. Springfield's like 14. Okay. I almost drove to Springfield, but my truck wouldn't work. <laughs> so let's get back to actually yeah. talking about players. So getting over here in, into our organization, Taylor Tramiel, you know, was struggling in the beginning of the season with uh, with the Reds organization, came over to us, kind of struggled. Uh, what did you see? Was there any changes in uh, his mechanics there as this, as he kind of got embedded into the Padres organization? Uh, you know, there's a side-by-side gif, I think, that I made when he first got here in his first couple games to where they changed from, you know, from the leg kick to a stride and helped him get to the ball quicker. I mean, because that swing is pretty compact as it is. It's pretty smooth. Uh, but he's just a guy that, you know, it just looked like he finally got comfortable. You know, it's just you don't want to be in an organization that doesn't want you. And I feel like every time that there was a Reds rumor, Taylor's name was kind of thrown around. Yeah. And it was, you know, he was excited to get to play baseball again. I was actually the first, uh, I believe, the first media member to talk to him after the trade because uh, I texted Shane. I was like, yo, when when can I do this? And uh, he was just like, now. I was like, all right, cool. So, you know, I talked to Taylor right after the trade. He talked about uh, playing in the Futures game, you know, playing, playing in Amarillo and getting the opportunity, you know, what was going on. And he goes, I just wasn't myself for a couple weeks, you know, and once I got back to being myself, uh, you know, he just kind of found his groove. And I think we finally got to see the epitome of what Taylor Trammell is in the Texas league playoffs. And obviously with that last swing. So my, my favorite part of that was a pitch before a couple of pitches before, no, before the swing. <laughs> oh yeah. When the, when the strike came in and he was unhappy about it and he was John at the umpire. And somehow I he, thought was he was able getting to, thrown out. I, I thought so too. I watched yeah. that. I battled like, what, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" And I was like, "Please don't get thrown out. This right. is not the Padres Twitter is going to eat you alive." I wish I. I want to know what he was saying. I wish somebody had a mic on that. But he was able to keep his oh. composure and then hit the grand slam. Yeah. I mean, what an emotional roller coaster right there. Yeah, he built in a bat like that's like he's done all year. I mean, that's the most impressive thing about him is is his eye, like the ability to build at bats, and he's. I've never seen anybody with a better vision of the strike zone. Obviously, the strikeouts are there, right? But, I mean, if you look at his pitches per bat, like, or if you go back and watch any of the games, very rarely does he have an at-bat to where he's, you know, it's less than three pitches or less than four pitches. It's usually five pitch at-bats, six pitch at-bats. I mean, I think he had an 11-pitch at-bat against Frisco at one point this year. Just he makes the pitcher work, yeah. makes the pitcher throw pitches, and it's he's awesome, honestly. So have you learned a lot about watching players and yes. trying to evaluate and assess them? How have, have anybody helped you with that this year or is it just from your own um, observations? It's kind of, you know, just watching old, you know, old, like whether it's Callis talk about somebody, you know, whether it's talking, watching Mayo talk about somebody, just even talking to, you know, I talked to one of the Tampa scouts because one of the Tampa scouts was there at one point uh, looking at pitching. And I was like, okay. I was like, can I ask you a question? He was like, yeah. He was like, well, I was like, what do you look for when you're looking at these prospects? And he said exactly what I said earlier. It's the ability to maintain velocity throughout starts, what the velocity is at the range of velocity, you know, 
just just kind of like their mix of pitches. Like I love pitch sequencing. Yeah. Pitch sequencing is one of my favorite things. One of the one of my favorite things about McKenzie is the fact that he's not afraid to throw anything and any count. And I charted every single one of Gore's uh, starts when he was in Amarillo or if I was at the game. And, you know, you pick up on little things like, you know, Mac didn't throw the curveball a whole lot because he didn't like the elevation. You know, I went to his uh, went to his actually brother-in-law now, uh, but his high school pitching coach. And I was like, hey, why is this a thing? He told me he's like, Kenzie doesn't like throwing his curveball in Amarillo because of the elevation. It's kind of that course field effect. You know, you're going to leave it up there. You might hang it. You know, it's just one of those types of things. That's a pretty astute so, thing for a 20-year-old kid yeah. to, to recognize. Yep. He, I'm telling you guys, he's like he analyzes everything, it seems like. Yeah, I, I first time I talked to him uh, in Lake Elsinore, I'm like, so he had three walks. He's like, yeah, it's three too many. I'm like, well, but it was three yep. walks in like 60 inning pants. He had like three walks. Yep. And he's like, yeah, it's three too many. I'm like, dude, you that's like. 15 games you pitched in and that's only three walks so he's got Luis in the same mindset too so it's like dynamic duo right there yeah Yeah, there was a story somebody pointed out I think it was on Mad Friars that I was reading that he it was a critical point late in the game runner on third base and he called for a splitter down in the zone because he knew that he was going to be able to block it and that takes some stones yeah so you just you were just talking about Mackenzie Gore a little bit. His brother from another mother, Luis Patino, got to come up and join him for a little bit. Um, and I see the smile come across your face immediately because oh, everybody just loves. I mean, love I just I kid. love the guy to death. How um, can you not? Did you see? So like, you're talking about sequencing and stuff. Did you see him make any adjustments throughout the year? Um, I only got to see him two starts. We kind of have. Uh, if we're talking about Patino, we're we talking about Gore. Which one? But Patino. Okay, so if we're talking about Patino, I only got to see him for two starts, but he was very open with me about, you know, what he has and, you know, how he feels. You know, he told me that, you know, he felt like he kind of lost a lot of his curveball feel whenever he started learning that spli- that slider. You know, he told me Zamora helped him a lot in, in Lake Elsnor. Uh, but as far as sequencing, Luis is pretty simple. Luis wants to go out there and show you that he can dominate you with that tailing fastball, and he's going to establish the strike zone just like Gore does. And, you know, he's got that slider that Munoz has, too, which I think it's actually better than Munoz's uh, to where it runs away from you. And, you know, because when you have a when you have the fastball like he does that runs in on a right hander's hands and then you have a, sl- a slider like that that goes the exact opposite direction. Yeah. And you can drop in a curveball like that, even if it's not your best pitch. I mean, I think it's his fourth best pitch at this point uh, concerning the curveball, because I think that changeup is going to be wind up being very good. And if he can figure out that changeup, he's going to be pretty incredible. And like, I think that if he figures out his changeup, that he can force Chris Paddock to be the number three starter in that rotation. Uh, and See, I'm, like 2022, like I'm right there with you. I, I really think it's going to be Gore Patino Paddock. I love it. Like, and I mean, after that, I mean, you look at probably one of Lauer Lucchese, you know, right there. I mean, maybe one of those two, you know. I'm not huge on Quantrill, but I mean, there's people that are, uh, yeah. you know, Steven Strasburg would look really nice in front of all those guys. <laughs> We're going to go downtown, go downtown. Hey, McKenzie, you're going to be the number two in 2021 because we have Steven Strasburg. Okay. Holy cow. <laughs> right. I just, I just did a score check. It is seven to one nationals yes. right now. I, that's the first time I've looked at the score since we started here. Yachty hit a bomb, made it a solo shot. Holy cow. All right. Well, it's been fun. St. Louis. Right. Well, Hey, yeah, uh, for real. Who who else who, you know who else we need to talk about there, Huddy Potts you know uh, 
he's still super young. First interview, by the way. First interview. First yes. interview I ever did. How yes. how was yes, he sir. for you as far as far as an interview? Uh, he was really nice. You know, uh, I talked to him I think seven times total this year, just after games, kind of getting the feel. I did an article on him early. Um, he was really nice. You know, he's very stoic. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I think that that's the best way to put him. He knows what he wants to say, and you know, he's a South Lake guy, so he's a Dallas guy. So we had kind of had that Texas thing in common. Kind of dove deep. You know, dove into his high school career. Uh, one of the best moments of my, my one of my favorite moments of the entire year was him hitting a home run in Frisco uh, against the Rough Riders in Dallas, which is pretty awesome in the DFW area with his family in front of there and everything. But Huddy's pretty stoic. Like that's the best way I can put it. I loved asking him questions. He said, "Yes, sir." I, yep. N- yes, sir. No, I need you to say like, something. Huddy, like, I'm 23 years old. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of the ones that, you know, no matter what happens when he's walking by, he always daps me up, always says hello. Uh, Ivan's like that. AJ Kennedy is one of my favorite people. Uh, He's a great one to talk to if you want to talk about pitchers. Now, he's an interesting Uh, guy because he's he's stuck with the Padres organization because he's so good defensively. Uh, mm-hmm. But there isn't anything that's going to carry him to the major leagues. I, I find those kinds of inter- guys. He's a career minor leaguer, and right. maybe someday he's Jeff Mathis, who, basically. Yeah, right. yeah, but he's Jeff Mathis of Double A of Triple A. Yeah. Jeff Mathis had a fifteen year. He's still playing. He's probably going to be playing until he's forty. But there's yeah. a role for those guys because he can at least hit two twenty in the major leagues. Yeah. Where I, I don't know if AJ Kennedy has the bat to do that. So. Is he right. like having an extra coach on the staff? He really is. Like, you know, we, you know, y'all got to see a lot of David Bednar this year at the end of the year. And he was talking to me about film sessions one day. And he was like, I was like, you know, pitchers use film sessions all the time. And, you know, hitters use it too to kind of analyze, you know, your swings and everything else. I was like, do you ever sit down with your pitchers and look at film? And he goes, yeah, I do it like two or three times a year with my guys. Like, you know, we were talking about David Bednar. Uh, he was like, Hey, you know, you're losing a little spin on your curveball. He's like, maybe we should tunnel it like this. And he, you know, I don't remember exactly how he put it, but he right. was like, every, like after that, I mean, it kind of made Bednar indispensable because, you know, you have that splitter, you have his fastball, and then you also have that curveball. And I mean, how are you going to hit that? Like, if you don't know what that's coming. Boy. So when he got his first major league check, I hope he, uh, Hope you had a nice yeah, gift to send back AJ. to AJ. Yeah. Well, because I mean, we one thing that we've talked about on our podcast is the the pay scale, and that minor leaguers mm-hmm. really don't get it's paid ridiculous. a whole lot, and it's it's a tough living, and then they're not paid in the off season. So you see somebody like AJ Kennedy, year in year out, he's just going through the same thing, and yeah. So I I would hope that the guys that get to 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 surpass him and go on, the people that he's helped on the way, that they can you know pay it back a little bit in some way, you know, at least you know, buy him a nice Rolex when you make the, the majors. <laughs> well, yeah. Certainly. Well, go on. No, I was, I was about to say one of my favorite human beings ever in the second ever painting corners podcast is after uh, Mike Cantu was Steven Bruno. He's a Cubs. He was a Cubs minor leaguer for seven years. And, you know, minor leaguers get seven years before their minor league contract runs out. Well, he's progressing through his police Academy uh, graduation in the next couple of weeks. So it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy how fast life turns on you. Like you people, people have to realize that not every one of these guys make the majors. Like it's actually a very small percentage right? and they're not making a lot while they're down there. Like you have to live off your signing bonus. If you were good enough to get one, 
Yeah. You know, that hit home for me a little bit right at the end of the year because we were here at Lake Elsinore and we're, so sometimes we would stay afterwards and we'd talk to the guys after Mm -hmm. and uh, Alan Cordoba came out and my wife asked him, oh, well, what are you, we'll see you next spring. And I kind of cringed and he, he kind of cringed a little bit as he was walking to his car. And after he walked away, I told her he's going to be a free agent after this year. He doesn't know what's coming next. And some of these guys might not have another chance. So you mentioned Rudy Hiron, and I believe he's a free agent after this year. I think so. So who knows if he's going to be picked up by another team or or what's going to come from that. So these guys, so he just won a championship with the Sod Poodles living high, you know, and then. Got to celebrate with us, by the way, even though at one point he wasn't even on the playoff roster. Yeah, so he's there. He's he's having an emotional high, and then the next day you got to deal with well, what next? Yeah, it's a stark reality. Yeah, sorry well, to bring it all down. I'm 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 such a Debbie Downer. We got we're gonna have to have you come on again because we talked more. We it, yeah. it's been great talking to you, Austin. Uh, we talked no problem, mostly yeah. about just talking about stuff. Um, and we skipped up on so many people. I mean, Ronald Bolaños, <laughs> the Evan, Evan Miller and Owen, Evan Miller. I'm curious about him because he had such a great year here and then continued going on. Kyle Overstreet. I just pulled up the roster here. So now I see all these other people I want to ask about, but I don't know if we have time. No, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's end it there and uh, get you on your way. Uh, we'll get me on my way and you on your, well, you're home here. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. We're going to have you come on again in the next few weeks or so. And in a little while, yeah. we'll have a little more poignant questions where we can give our listeners some more content other than this really being about us just shooting the shit, uh, which I found was fucking fantastic. Probably language was fantastic. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. It took so long guys. <laughs> I, well, yeah, well, it, you know, you, you were busy and we we're, we we're busy and just stuff happens. Yeah. Life happens. So thanks for coming on with us. It's been a great time. No problem, guys.